Welcome everybody back to Soul Practice, Raw Conversations, Real Practices. I'm Phyllis Mathis. And I'm Kathy Escobar. And um, we are having fun this season talking to people we love and value and want to hear with, hear from and play with. And uh, so I am really, really happy to actually be in this circle with the three of us together because um, one of the, my most favorite things is just having people that are supposed to know each other, know each other, and then be able to listen and learn from each other. So my friend, Krista um, O'Reilly David Daggie, Daggie, did I say it right? Gosh. <laughs> Apologize. <laughs> this is what's so hard for me. It's like, we really just talked about it because I don't really <laughs> usually use her last name very often. And um, I apologize, but this is a little part of just everything is that we're practicing. And so I am sorry for not getting your name exactly right, but I am saying out loud how grateful I am that right after Jared died in 2019, we met. And um, I do think that there are divine things that happen in the world that you can't explain how random people that you know from your work as a wellness educator and coach and convener of space for people to heal and get healthier and um, transform their lives and live more freely. Um, Someone said, and in my weird world, a face shift and refuge staff said, we're supposed to know each other because um, five days before Jared died, your beautiful son, Jairus died the same way. Mm-hmm. And um, two moms who are kind of out there trying to be healthy people and have these sons who died by suicide is not a small thing. And mm-hmm. um, we just kind of leaned up against each other and met for coffee on Zoom. And it was literally one of the best things that happened to me in my healing journey. And so um, today we, so here we are, we're three years later, like three plus years later now, and we're making it. And this episode is actually not all about grief and all about our story. It's actually about surviving and finding joy. And um, you write and speak and share and cultivate spaces and help cultivate joy. So we're just so happy to have you with us and um, from Canada. So yeah, you're our first international guest. (laughs) (laughs) All the way from Canada. Look at us. (laughs) We've had another Canadian actually on Kathy member, David Hayward. Oh, I forgot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think he's an Eastern, more Eastern. And I'm more Western. Yeah. Yes, yes, there we go. Just another mistake today. It just is like where I'm at right now. <laughs> well, we love the Canadians. Any Canadians <laughs> love to be living in Canada in Canada sometimes. We're all kind uh, of jealous. Frankly. Yeah. But would just love for you to just start with like just share with everybody. You don't know probably most of the people who are listening and this is the first time they'll hear and just a little bit about you and your story. And then, um, you know, we just love to have raw conversations and then talk about real practices together. 
Yeah, well, oh, likewise, Kathy, I, I don't need to find language around it. I'm just grateful to know you. And um, I hate the reason we met, but I'm grateful that we met. Um, and I actually, I, I actually want to talk about this later. The um, maybe I'll just say it, plant that seed. But one of the things I really do want to talk about today, ideally, is uh, you know, the, our need for each other, for connect, for connectedness and community, even though it's messy and hard. And I'm not that good at it, to be honest. Somehow I managed to build really like beautiful community through all my messiness and imperfection, but I do better through the screen. Like this is, does not come naturally to me. And also these past three and a half years, like never before I have needed people. Um, and I forget my train of thought already, what, what I was going to say and that happens, but um, oh, yeah, I, I know now um, the importance of really noticing who are we allowing in close to our inner circle, because mm -hmm. we have to be very careful about that very guarded, I think, I believe, to only allow brave and wise people who are doing the hard work up close. And you are one of those people for me, Kathy, a model of resilience, a model of doing the work of truth telling and vulnerability and I believe that when we're careful about who we allow into our inner circles it allows us to expand the tent mm. so yeah okay who am I uh well I don't want to go too much into that because I could talk for hours um but yeah I I um started my business seven and a half years ago but as I was nearing my 40th birthday I heard this strong inner voice say it's time to go back to school and um, like most of the times when I hear these strong things inside of me, it doesn't make sense on a logical level or rational level, but it always makes sense when life unfolds. And usually that means like shit hits the storm. Is that the, ex is that the expression? I can't remember. The fan. The fan. In America, in America, <laughs> the shit hits the fan. <laughs> That's probably it here too. Um, and so going back to school was an anchor for me when there was some really hard stuff happening in my life. Um, I started and then, you know, just four weeks before I had, my husband and I were in a very serious car accident. Three weeks after that, our son Jairus died. Um, so four weeks before the car accident, I felt like, oh, it's time to start my membership, the brave and beautiful community that had been simmering already for two or three years, but I was too scared to do it. I was terrified. I actually started taking money once and then refunded it all because I was just oh. terrified. Mm. Yeah, like fear has been a big player in my life. Um, but I just knew, oh, it's time. And then chaos. So, it, you know, there are these things that pull me towards community and engagement in the worst possible seasons of my life. And I know now very clearly that it has saved my life because 
my tendency is to isolate and withdraw. And that is an exact perfect recipe for me to spiral downward fast. And as somebody who has struggled hard with suicidality um, and anxiety and depression in my past seasons, you know, that was literally a surefire disaster, like a, a way to disaster or pathway to disaster. So, um, so anyways, my, the last 10 years, I'm 51 now, the last 10, 11, 12 years of my life have been the hardest and the most freeing, um, incredible growth and stretching years where I've grown into myself, I believe grown into my true self and also encountered things that I wouldn't wish on anybody. Mm. So, and so joyful living educator, I am, I called myself a joyful living educator with lot that feels very vulnerable to me. It's a little less vulnerable now, but still vulnerable because I have struggled hard in my life and I often cry when I talk about joy because I believe that the pathway to real joy is through pain and grief and coming to the end of ourselves. Um, and so, yeah, that's where I'll pause. Well, I just think that's, uh, I mean, you have so much credibility with me because of that. Um, and the idea that I'm having in my head is that we're kind of taught in our societies to to pursue happiness and joy, um, but we we feel entitled to only happiness and joy and not anything else. And and we think it should be linear, <laughs> you know. We think, and so um, the idea of having holding both together and really not being on able to understand true joy without deep sorrow it's like uh i think unless you have to most of us are like nope i think i'll take the whole avoidance route and kind of just not do the unhappy part and just do the happy happy part and so i am super curious about about that i get it in theory and i'm i'm in a place of just wanting to listen and hear more and uh if you could talk more about how the two things are linked and why you think it's true i i'm really curious about that sure yeah i still have an aversion to like the facebook memes or posts that say you know you have to no pain to no joy i'm still like Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm allowed to wear. I don't know. I forgot to ask if I'm allowed to swear, but I'm yes, always. Please do. <laughs> well, I'm always like, fuck you. Um, yeah. So I, I still feel that way. I don't think we have to go hunting for pain. I don't no. think just like when we're healing forward from grief or trauma, we don't have to go hunting for um, the deep wounds because as we're ready, when we feel safe enough, when we're resourced enough, what needs to come up will come up. And we can face it then. And I kind of feel that way about joy. Like, um, I don't mean to offer this as a prescription. Um, I think that depending on where a person is in their life, um, 
what I would love for people is to just notice, just let themselves sit with little even flitting moments of happiness or joy or pleasure um, without, you know, somehow like making some kind of weird equation out of this, just allow mm -hmm. those little moments because the reality is life is already hard. Mm -hmm. Being human is hard. This world is messy. It can feel incredibly scary. You don't have to go hunting. Like just be human, be your healthiest version of mm -hmm. you and simply practice the idea that you are allowed to give yourself permission to feel joy in the midst of this messy world. So, um, okay. But having said that, just because of my journey, as I kind of come through, you know, cycles and seasons of my life and go through winter seasons, what is true for me is that I met joy and freedom in winter. Mm. And honestly, I know that saying that it sounds like people will not understand what that really means and feels like in my body. It's not pretty, but not every winter season is as ugly or horrible. Right. And, um, and, but I have gone through some pretty ugly and horrible winter seasons. And I think the reason that we can meet joy and freedom there is that as we come through our autumn seasons and we start stripping away the conditioning, the stories, the needing to measure up and keep up to be a good girl, the, the approval that we need, you know, that love that we desperately want. Um, as we start stripping and stripping, it's like we, you know, like if I think of the trees outside my window that they get so stark and bare, if that's how it feels like in my body is like we strip away until we get to the bare bones, mm. the, the truth of who we are. And that includes our pain, but it also includes our incredible beauty and giftedness that we're often too ashamed or shy to claim. Um, and we just like, we, we come to the end of ourselves, like all of that trying and effort and then we just meet ourselves there, the truth of all of who we are, really, I think, at the core underneath all of that. Mm -hmm. And, and I, you know, that's how I envision winter. And that's how I feel it and experience it. And I think that's the only place we can really meet joy and freedom. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, it's just, it's still just kind of tangled up, right, with trying to be good and, and trying to be, I don't know, just have value you know and worth and everything somehow in our productivity or our capacity to show up or whatever so yeah so that's that's what I have <laughs> yes I like that ah uh, yeah and I was thinking I mean so many things um stir up for me just about how much I hate winter <laughs> like in the actual practical like just the seasons of winter, January, February, March, some of April in Colorado are really hard for me. And I've come a really long way in this department after this many years. Um, but the metaphor 
is, you know, so much stronger and, and so helpful. And I kind of hate it and I'm starting to love it because it's such a weird thing. Yeah. yeah, It's this paradox. I mean, and that's what, you know, we always talk about, but it's so true. And, um, that I really don't like being stripped, like having things be stripped away. And I don't really like, this is what I was thinking of as you were talking is then, oh, we're just waiting for spring. Mm. Just waiting for spring. And, you know, in the Christian kind of things, I mean, I don't live in that world at all anymore, but you know, that was like a piece like Easter's coming and, you know, and so this is Lent and this is suffering and this is stripped and this is hard and, and then this good thing's coming. And um, instead of owning that all of them have everything in them, but there is something about winter and the vulnerability of it that opens us up in a way that is really scary. And that's what I'm hearing as you're talking. It's just a reminder, like it actually is in the vulnerability that anything really, honestly, really comes because that's the essence of it all instead of all the stuff that goes around it. Yeah. So I like to write and talk about, you know, that I, the truth that I I believe it is true that um, there's beauty and wisdom to be mined in every season. So we don't just get through one season to get to the easier ones. We, there is beauty here too. And Mm -hmm incredible beauty also like meeting you like um meeting all of the incredible humans I have met because when I talk openly about Jairus all these other mothers and fathers and humans reach out and say thank you because I know that they are alone in their pain Mm -hmm. because there's nowhere to talk about the truth of your child suffers and dies like yeah. without feeling I, you know, shamed and judge judge. So, so yeah, I believe that there is incredible beauty and wisdom to be mined in every season. And also that doesn't dismiss the brutality. Like my, you know, Canadian winter where I live too, it's brutal. Like people die, some depending on the weather. Like, I mean, it's nasty. <laughs> it might look beautiful, but it's lethal. So uh, um, right? Like yeah. um so but one I think so what's something that's coming up for me right now is how after Jairus died, um, and I, I say this a lot because I think that no matter how often we try to be honest online, if we work online people still make up stories. We have a tendency to still assume, oh, but they have it figured out. Oh, but you know, they, you know, and it's like, you don't understand. No, I don't have it figured out. I am practicing. I get up, I practice this moment, this hour, this day. That's all I know how to do. And when Jairus died, I was pretty quickly thrown into it was 17 or 18 months of PTSD severe panic disorder and dissociating up to 12 hours a day um yeah and I didn't stop working 
I could maybe do five hours a week and friends came alongside to help me on, you know, run my Facebook page for a few months and stuff. And I, for the first, I don't know, like two and a half years, I think I managed to get up to maybe 15 hours a week. Like it was like limping along, but I was like having panic attacks through that. I was doing videos and having panic attacks. I was like, Mm. so I don't even know still how I survived that because I had, but I, I had a pretty big toolbox, resilience toolbox. Thank gosh. Like, thank us. And deep roots. Thank us. <laughs> deep roots. Cause I had done so much work in the decade. Well, in the years and years before, but it wasn't enough. It didn't like rescue me. And what I needed to learn there is safety even here. yeah so how do we learn how to know that we are safe and anchored even here in the midst of the worst storm um and i we need to be talking more about that for various reasons, but one of them is because this is what it means to be fully human in a messy world. We go through hard, horrible things. And also we experience the joy of our babies and each other and doing work we love and yummy food and all the lovely things, right? Um, But you know, so I feel like this was sort of like, I, I think we always go deeper, deeper, not wider, right? So we kind of go through these seasons and we're just invited deeper and deeper and deeper. And so this was a really like deep and hard um, and winter season. And those words hard doesn't even come close, but, but whatever winter we feel like we're in or whatever struggle or whatever fear or whatever uncertainty or whatever, I think there's the, the practice of that, well, paradox right of holding that tension between can I be with this without shaming myself and judging myself or isolating but and also notice how there is another thread running through my life like a thread of joy a thread of connection a thread of possibility a thread of um safety like I know I feel like I'm going all over the place and I um So I'll just, okay, so, so this is what I mean, is that in when we're talking about joy, one of the things that I think is essential is learning how to recognize that I can hold both at once. And sometimes that means you're dissociating for 12 hours a day, your body's in panic, your life has been turned upside down. And what you notice is, 99.9% of your body and life feels like pain, but there's this 0.1% that is other. Mm. And as soon as we can see that, that tiny speck of other, we, our, our mind starts to shift. We start to be able to see a new possibility. Our body starts to learn more safety in the midst of the storm because we realize, oh, it's not only this. Mm. And, 
And so, and then slowly we might notice like one hour to the next, oh, that, that other is growing into the size of a basketball or shape shifting or whatever. And it just starts to teach us a whole new way of being in the world and in our lives, because we start to see that we don't need to dismiss the pain to allow or give ourselves permission to receive or feel or experience the joy, the beauty, the delight, the pleasure. Um, one final thought, because is when I, uh, when I was experiencing all of that, like panic attacks and dissociation and everything, I was so I'm so stubborn, and I know this has served me well, because I would notice this little like moment sometimes the sun was shining I was sitting at my kitchen table my girls were safe in the living room I was doing something that lit me up and I would feel this kind of feeling of pleasure or joy whatever it was in the moment and I would name it out loud to my daughters knowing full well what would happen my body would go into full-blown panic as soon as I named that in me was resisting that like "Mm -mm, nope we're not allowed. That's too scary. Um, how dare you feel joy and happiness when your child mm-hmm. suffered and died? Like you're, you know, just all the things. And I was like, I am doing this. I am going to name it. And and so, anyways, big, you know, lots and lots of hard work and practice. But the power of that and the the empowerment that comes from that is that learning that my brain might tell me you are going to die. This is too hard. There's no way that you can do this. But my body has this strength in it. This like runs through the bones that I have. I only built that up through walking through the fire, but there's this strength inside my body that knows we can do this. That's, that's awesome. Uh, And thank you for sharing that. I mean, you were, you kind of answered the question I was going to ask you about, about um, what's it like to allow joy in the midst of this very traumatic tragedy. And did you ever find yourself um, distressed by the possibility of joy? And so that was just such a great uh, glimpse into that reality that, but it's like both things make us so freaking vulnerable and the the thing that joy could be a threat i i think we might be more it makes more sense to us to feel threatened by hard things and tragedy and pain and sorrow frustration whatever but but then and that's bad enough but then to feel in a sense threatened by the possibility of joy totally re- i totally um, re- resonate with that but uh just that i just think that's so weird and no one tells us that yeah. you know yeah joy is the that. most vulnerable emotion like it's way more comfortable to feel anger grief even um and fear like any of these so-called like uncomfortable emotions they feel safer to our nervous system than joy yeah yeah. 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 I feel like that's it right there. Like what you just said. Um, Cause as you were talking, I was thinking about my therapist and how like this is, and we talked about this somewhere on soul practice, but 
about shame. And, you know, when she, when I was really wrestling with the shame of having a kid who killed themselves, I mean, it's got a lot, the shame of suicide is deep, 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 deep for everybody involved and connected for the kids, for the friends, for the parents, for the, everybody. And, um, and she, you know, said this thing that shame is a false sense of control. Mm. And so like my shame helps me because I can stay in control. I know shame. It's a reflex anyway. Got it. Know it. <laughs> it's in there, you know? And so I like, I'm really good at shame. And so it, it does give me a protection. And what you just said about like real joy, we're not talking about happiness, people. Like we're not talking about that fleeting thing. This is this deeper dropped in thing. Um, that we are allowed to experience joy and pleasure and wholeness. Like joy comes from a wholeness, I think, because there's an ease, there's this thing that comes and that we are allowed to feel that, but it's going to mean that we have to let go of control and the control of in our pain that like and a certain narrative, a certain story, like this is my story now. And I was thinking, you know, we're talking, of course, because we're friends and lost our kids and Phyllis um, doesn't have that same story, but she's got a lot of pain in her life because every single and every single person listening has a different one. Not everybody has this exact story, but a hundred percent of us have control and maintaining and something around us to protect us and a coping skill and Mm -hmm. joy that vulnerability of true joy and like letting our shoulders down and let it like sinking in is terrifying Mm -hmm. and the trauma of our lives in all different ways whether that's relational or grief or whatever health all those things like letting your guard down for just one minute is coming, you know, and I think Brene Brown, like we always kind of, we don't diss Brene Brown because we love Brene Brown, but Phyllis was talking about this shit. And so were you, you know, and so was I in a different way a long time ago. (laughs) And um, so, but she did a great job at giving language to it. I think that we really needed. And I was thinking about, she talks about that foreboding joy. Like you just don't let yourself feel good because you're afraid that something yep. is going to happen next and, or we're going to lose it or someone's going to leave or someone's going to die or something, you know, like whatever it is. And we can't just like that safety of our bodies you're talking about um, is really hard one and practiced, you know, as I was thinking, like, it doesn't just draw, you didn't wake up one day. Oh, you know, like you're practicing it every single freaking day of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have like, when, when you have suicide in the family, there is heightened risk of other children um, struggling. There's risk factors. And I have a, my youngest was, she's only just learning how to thrive again after her big brother died. Um, And I worry for her all the time. And you know, that's just a, a one example, but yeah. Anyway, um, 
you know, this was a lifelong practice for me. And I, and I will say to you, like you said, Kathy, we all have coping mechanisms. There's no shame in the coping mechanism either. And I like to say this because a lot of people are like, oh, I shouldn't be drinking. I shouldn't be doing this. And it's like, sometimes that thing you're doing, I'm not saying that it's going to serve you lifelong. I'm saying maybe it's keeping you alive right now. Mm. So again, humanizing that, that sometimes when we understand, and this is why I really love nervous system work, to be honest, because it breaks some of the shame and mystery around why we do certain things we do and, and how we can work with our biology to move into healing and, um, more freedom. So perfectionism was my drug of choice long, long, long ago, trying to order my world. Um, I have a child with an eating disorder and it's about control and feeling completely powerless. Um, you know, so I guess anybody listening to just know that you're human you're not doing life wrong. If you notice that you're kind of sometimes you get activated, really afraid, and you kind of go back towards that safety, protective behavior. And the more we can kind of release the shame and just name it for what it is and just see, oh, okay, that's what's happening. Then that starts to open up that space where we can choose a new response or invite somebody in to help us, you know, you know, community, a therapist a friend, a grief circle or Al-Anon, like whatever it is. But again, like just that shame, right? That shame is what takes us out of the race. It's not the messiness. It's not even the pain. It's the shame around it and the isolation that I think is the, the biggest threat to our survival. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we decide what it means that we're feeling this way. And then we just in another story. So I love what you said about the nervous system, sticking with the nervous system processing, then it's energy in the body. And um, it kind of helps not to go down the rabbit holes of of stories about our badness or goodness or whatever, whatever stories we have to tell. So, so, so much there and so poignant. Oh my gosh, I know so much. And you know, as you were talking, Krista, I'm thinking of you, Phyllis, in our conversation last time about our trip to Alabama and do you know do, do, taking that deep dive into really, really hard things as white people. And like the what you said about the nervous system, Krista, is just like so crucial because we really prepared our bodies and intentionally had spaces for it. And it really helped us. It didn't mean that we didn't like have all these feelings or whatever, but it's like we had a container for it. It's like that space to be able to be there. So I really think that it's kind of everything. And that is the work that you're doing and helping, not just in your own life, but in other people's lives too. Because it's this common theme and we all need help because we're all trying to get in our head and figure it out that way. And this is Phyllis, like number one thing that you taught me as a friend was like, danger, danger, try to figure it out, yeah. danger. <laughs> I still well, say it all the time, but I'm getting yeah, better. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> me too, me too, I say it all the time. Work with a lot of sort of academics, like researchers, uh, um, doctors, <laughs> therapists, like people who like, they're very strong in their intelligence 
center. <laughs> um, and, and they need a new way or a, a sort of a more holistic way of learning that, okay, we're not just a brain. And sometimes all of our thinking isn't enough, right? <laughs> we have other parts of our, of who we are <laughs> that we can, and lots of, lots of wisdom that we can harness. Um, yeah. To figure out how to do this living whole and brave thing. Oh, so good. So we always end with the same thing every time you get both of them. Um, and that is just like one quick little thought to just remind us all, everyone listening is trying to make it to, um, and so like one little thought for the soul and maybe one super simple practice related to joy or surviving, like whatever comes to mind. Okay. So, um, if life feels hard, you're not doing it wrong. You're human in a messy world. Mm. Um, my practice, although there are many hard to narrow it down, but I, I, I want to focus on community. And so that idea that I started with of pay attention to who you've allowed into your inner circle. Are they lifting you up? Are they calling you to growth? Are they safe? Do they feel safe in your body? Um, and, and if not, see what that would be like to kind of move them a little further out and be really careful about who you allow into that inner circle so that you can then expand your sense of your tent, your community. Because if we are unmoored and we are, we don't have, you know, we're not resilient, we're not resourced, no matter how much we love other people, it's not going to go that well when we're trying in our, in this sort of, I don't know, this, not like this deeper sense of wholeness, but we're trying to do it from out, maybe our brains or something else to try to engage. It's, it's going to be um, less impactful than if we are resourced, we know who we are, we feel we have safe places to go so that then we can kind of step out into broader community and know that then we can pour out and make an impact and we can also receive the wisdom and the beauty and the gifts from other people without, I don't know, so much of our other messiness. <laughs> but Love it. Yeah. So good. All right, fellas, last thought for the soul. Well, just that um, the soul just does things so much differently than we want to uh, when we're trying to be in control and we're trying to think our way to pain-free living. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think that's kind of how we do it. And so when uh, when things do fall apart, like it really always helps to know that you know your soul really is is knows what it's doing and is creating a a kind of a more a revolutionary way to do your life than what we were taught and it always involves vulnerability at the core mm. being okay with it learning about it letting it be the teacher yeah, love it my practice is super simple just seek beauty seek beauty in the simplest of ways and with us art music nature beautiful humans, dogs that are beautiful. <laughs> My dog that barked earlier, sorry. But anything that opens and expands us and that we can let in and yeah. let our bodies feel beauty. 
um, always helps. Oh my gosh. I, there are so many more things we could say, but um, Krista, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for your friendship, for your wisdom and the work that you do in the world. And we just want people to know how to find that. And um, uh, Krista's website is lifeinprogress.ca. Um, and she's got a brave and beautiful community. Also awesome way to follow on um, social media because she puts out really good stuff that really help. Um, and, uh, there's also another site rebranding middle age and it has so many good things on it. So just look her up and thanks for playing with us. And thanks for listening to soul practice. Thanks for having me.